Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. My name is Matthew DeMello. I'm senior editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guests on the program are DLA Piper Chief Data Scientist, Bennett Borden, and Chair of DLA Piper's AI practice, Danny Toby. DLA Piper is among the world's leading law firms, and as you'll be able to tell from Bennett and Danny's testimony today, as well as in their first episode from a couple of weeks ago, they have some very interesting use cases at the cutting edge of AI applications in the legal realm. Bennett and Danny return to the show today to discuss successful large language model use cases in the legal sector and where we see these capabilities changing typical roles and workflows among legal professionals into the future. Bennett and Danny return to the show today to discuss successful large language model use cases in the legal sector and where we see these AI capabilities changing typical roles and workflows among legal professionals into the future. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Bennett and Danny, thank you so much for being back on the program. Absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So starting off, you guys at DLA Piper have a very interesting use case in co-counsel, kind of a first of its kind AI legal assistant leveraging GPT-4. There's been a lot of anticipation about the successful use cases that will come out of large language models in the legal space, in the banking space, especially. Banking is especially sensitive about this because if you're familiar at all, Towards the beginning of the pandemic, there was a huge investment in chatbots that we saw were very flimsy use cases, really surface level, really didn't dig in deep. This is a very advanced tool. And something I think that needs to be spelled out for a lot of people, you know, whose kids are using chat GPT right now is how much of this is the language model and how much of this is the organization and its data behind it. Because if you don't have an organization and good data, that large language model can be great and can understand a lot of things, but the user at the end of it, the teenager is going to say, well, this sucks. You know, it, it's it, it's not going to get them where they need to go. So it is those two things. So I'm wondering if, if, if we can start, you know, from a legal perspective, you know, knowing how the workflows in this industry in our last episode, we kind of bookmarked talking about things right here and how in, in terms of how it changes the workflow. But in terms of, you know, from a legal perspective, what differentiates large language models like GPT-4 over the sort of surface level, you know, chatbots we saw, you know, beginning of pandemic a little bit before in the banking industry? Let's start with Danny. Let me start by saying, as a father of three, my view is teenagers are going to say that sucks no matter what you do. So you're, you're trying to just Very excellent point. <laughs> but, but in seriousness, I am astonished by the fluency of the new large language models. So just the ability to have a nuanced conversation back and forth. And what is equally astonishing is how wrong they can be. This is a technology that is almost shockingly simple in that it's just stringing words together. And it's stringing words together in a statistical way to say, okay, this is what I've said. This is the next word that's going to pop out. And I almost think about it like the world's greatest con man. You know, it doesn't know <laughs> what's going to come out of its yeah. mouth next, but it's really convincing. And you just get it talking about anything and it's going to put one word after the other and uh, make a sentence. 
what I've seen and, and, and Bennett and I have been in the trenches on this is we've seen lots of flavors of these large language models. And so far, and I think, you know, anytime you make a, an absolute statement about technology these days, you're, you're wrong two days later, but uh, I don't know what's going to air. <laughs> yep. but, but at least as of this precise moment in human history, my experience is the more controlled and constrained these models are to ensure the accuracy of what they're saying, the less chatty they are. You can't have mm. those same like, well, chatbot, what I really meant was this, and let me give you an example, and, and it'll say, oh, I, I see what you're saying. You're really look. And so there almost seems to be this tension between fluency and accuracy. And of course, that's going to change. And of, and of course, one day we'll have both. But it's a hard place to be right now. And as a law firm adopting this technology, we're thinking very hard about how do you fine tune it? How do you balance those trade-offs? And, and where does the real power lie? And then what are the checks you need around it so that you're, you're getting the good stuff and you are controlling against the errors? Indeed. Ben, anything to add there before I follow up? Yeah, these large language models are absolutely astounding. When I first got my hands on them, especially co-counsel. So the interesting thing about co-counsel is it is trained on the world, but it's focused on legal. So cases, secondary sources, and whatever you put into it. And so the first time I was playing with it and asked it, like I asked it some legal questions. What are the events that trigger a duty to preserve any discovery, electronic discovery? Nice. Hit the button. A few seconds later, it came out with three paragraphs that were spot on, beautiful prose, just and literally the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. So then started to press it more like, OK, asking it questions where the answer is not entirely clear. It starts to choke a little bit, but then it tells me that the answer is not clear, which is almost just as valuable, right? What we're right. doing is plumbing the depths of where it is exceptionally good and where it's not yet quite so good. And not just co-counsel, but other GPT-4-based products. Because so much of what lawyers do, like we mentioned a little bit last time, is gathering information, analyzing that information to pick out the important bits. And sometimes that is buried within 150 page document or 150 emails or 150 million emails. And so anything that can help me identify and pull out the most relevant stuff quicker and more efficiently allows my lawyers to be lawyers. And that's where so much of this is coming in. So the, these new LLMs, I think this is the most disruptive technology since the computer, if not the printing press. And we are just starting to see the tiniest disruptions that's about to, to pretty much overtake the world. Before we dive even into those impacts, even going back to what I said before, you know, large language models are the door in the organization kind of being the room as that interface works. You were describing, you know, a moment ago that the, you know, from a data perspective and that perspective, even from the first episode, I really appreciate for this framing. In order to develop the co-counsel platform, you're plumbing the depths you know, for these specific, you know, handoffs between fluency and accuracy. Tell us a little bit about that product. What data points become important as you're developing the platform to know, you know, where are we getting the best results in a customer experience format, but for the legal profession? Yeah, it's a great question. 
what we are finding is it's all about how you use the tool, right? And so we are able to focus it on like a particular set of 150 million documents and say, this is your world. I want to ask you questions about this world and these are the main facts in this world. Now its brain is based on the rest of the world, right? But where it's getting its answers from and the insights from, I can focus down to a smaller view of that world. But even then, how to get the answer out and how do you make sure it's accurate? The nice thing about lawyers, right, is we have a professional responsibility to make sure everything we say and do is actually true and based on reasonable facts. And so it's kind of easy to work in this kind of technology as a head start or as a, a stepping stone into the final product. It doesn't disrupt us as much because we still have to verify everything. But we are finding that really fine tuning how you use it. Because even these models, they're built a certain way. They understand prompts a certain way. So knowing how these things work makes it better so you can get a better answer out of them. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's becoming and I think it's finally time to at least start asking this question going down this realm of conversation of how are we going to see roles change? How are we going to see workflows change? But it's becoming increasingly obvious that a future job for so many industry sectors is going to be AI prompter of some kind. I know how to ask the LLM the right questions, and I already see all the Faust jokes coming out and all like the deal with the devil jokes coming out once that happens that, you know, and I'm I, lawyer, lawyers are no strangers to this joke, but it's going to I think it's going to take on uh, whole new pop culture realms as it, as it goes forward. But you'll need people who know how to ask the LLM the right question in the right way. Let me open this up to Danny. I think it's time considering documentation management and in LLMs, how do we see legal professions changing in terms of their roles going forward? And feel free to expand out to the other industries we've been discussing through the programs that you guys have your hands in. I think, first of all, uh, on your Faust point, I wasn't sure who to feel sorry for, the the lawyer that had to deal with large language models or or the large language models that have to deal with lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we deserve each other. (laughs) Lawyers are translators. I mean, we always have been, right? The role of the lawyer is knowing how to ask the questions. And, and, you know, I really don't care if you're a a litigator or a deal lawyer, you're trying to get your client's objective done. And there's a million ways to do it. And where the lawyer adds value is knowing the right arguments and the right frame and, and, and the right story to tell. And I, I mean that in, in the narrative sense of, of, you know, how you take this jumble of facts in the world and, and, and make something coherent out of them. And so when I'm playing at night with chat GPT with, with my kid, which has strangely become a pastime in the last couple of months, <laughs> what it reminds me most of is depositions. Because depositions aren't really like what you see on TV where someone's just attacking someone and, and, and berating them as somehow going to magically get the answer out. It, it's a conversation. And you're asking the same question different ways. And you're coming at it with different nuance, different angles. And you're asking the right question. I remember really early in my training, a really good trial lawyer was my mentor said to me, he said, you know, you, you don't have to go into the deposition assuming the person is lying. Just ask them the right question. That, that's on us. And I think chatbots or large language models or AI, whatever you want to call it, it's the same thing. It's 
understanding who you're dealing with and asking the right question. And so lawyers are going to be really good at this. I mean, we had to learn Boolean logic. Uh, Even the English majors who went to law school had to learn Boolean search queries to do Westlaw. Uh, and, And we got really good at that. And I think we're going to get really good at talking to large language models in a way that elicits the right answer. But I think at least for the near term, it's not going to be a replacement of lawyers. I think it's going to be a meaningful relationship between lawyers and computers that is increasingly one of mutuality. You know, it's a conversation, not just a tool, but, you know, that's no different than sitting across the table and striking a deal with a human. You know, you got to approach it the right way and know what to do with the, the feedback. Yeah. Bennett, in getting your reactions to this, I'm almost wondering, especially in the the data perspective you've been providing for these last few episodes, I almost wonder if it's going to turn into the case that we're going to start to look at courtrooms as a black box that we don't understand. Yeah, you're 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 already <laughs> nodding your head. Are we going to look at courtrooms and legal proceedings as, as black boxes and, you know, language interfaces that consumers lawyers may not understand and it very interested something that came up even in the last episode too we almost kind of talked about lack of a better way of putting it a white box problem and i'll put the definition on that being it is a black you don't understand it it's bringing wrong outputs but you think the you don't see a problem in the box you think everything's working perfectly because it's actually such a mystery and, and so opaque. Just wondering, as you're looking at this from a data perspective, is our relationship to legal proceedings about to change thanks to these technologies? I think almost certainly, right? Mainly because if you look at what a adversarial proceeding is, there's these two separate streams of input, you know, the plaintiff and defendant. There's kind of a traffic cop and the judge, and then there's decision makers who's either the judge or the jury. And there's inputs and outputs, and there's static layers in between each of those. And so how do we package the message to get through the static to the people who are making the decision? And in all the proper formats, all the proper rules, like hearsay and objections and leading questions and all that stuff, right? It's just, it's literally a paradigmatic system. And so understanding how to use the tech to deliver into that system is what's really, really important and really fun. Like the analogy that Danny and I use all the time is we're talking Iron Man, not Terminator when it comes to lawyers, right? That if you look at what Iron Man is, he's a really, really smart guy encased in incredible technology, but it's his direction of that technology and even development of that technology that turns him into a superhero, right? And so that's what we're trying to do. There are really, really smart lawyers. And how can we encase that acumen in this really cool tech in a way that furthers their reach, furthers their accuracy? And that is inevitably going to change all aspects of how we practice law. But then whether it's on the transactional side or on the litigation side, that is inevitably going to have these follow on consequences. Absolutely. Let's stick with you for a moment just on uh, on this one question. For co-counsel, it's it's a, a legal assistant. There's a there's a, a a chat bot interface. I'm just wondering how you might go about a couple of the black box problems from the customer experience if there is a real great lawyer just encased in that in that technology at the heart of that. How are you getting that across on more than just the DLA Piper name of of course which is substantial. <laughs> you know, it really is the use case. So there's some things it does exceptionally well. For instance, I uploaded a complaint, 
which is the opening salvo in a court case. It's basically a you file this with the court and you serve it in a site saying, you done me wrong and here's all the ways you did me wrong. And this complaint had 35 different parties over a 50 year period, super complex environmental toxic tort with chemicals and effluents and all these things, right? And so I loaded it up and I said, hey, assume that I'm the CEO of this defendant. What deposition questions can I expect to get? And it turned away for like five minutes. You could just see this thing thinking. And it spit out 104 questions that were astoundingly astute. I said, okay, now pretend I'm the CEO of this other defendant. How does that change? Pretend I'm one of the plaintiffs. How does that change? And it gets it. And so it's this, how you, like what Danny was saying, how you query that system, how you understand how to interact with it gets richer stuff out. But then it really does come down to you and your team of folks verifying, is there anything left? Is it wrong about certain things? And so it completely reshapes the speed and accuracy of information distillation. The artistry behind being a lawyer is still there. And that's what lawyers are going to have to continue to be, like this, this artistry of practicing law. Because the I do the same thing every time, act the same way. That is the part. It's like Danny loves to say, I'm going to steer your line, Danny. He said, it's not like AI is going to replace lawyers. It's lawyers without AI are going to be replaced by lawyers with AI. We've definitely heard that, and even not just in in the lawyer profession too. But I think it's been coming very strongly. I, I see it on Instagram with with my lawyer friends, especially even in the in the real estate space. Danny, I want to move to you, and I and I want to ask very pointedly with how the legal profession, everything Bennett was giving in his uh, last answer going forward. How do we accentuate like I come from a background in global taxes and that that word artistry kind of came up. Another way it gets put is elevating human judgment. You know, those those decisions that we know humans can make. You see the pianos behind me there. You know, when I 20 years ago, we were saying machines could never compose. And here we are They're We're they're about on the verge of writing the Ninth Symphony at this point. So even and, and as you were saying, you know, any claim we make now in in five years, two days, 15 years, we could be dead wrong. I mean, what does that artistry mean for for the legal profession? You know, and we'll give we'll give a lot of caveats. We don't know what 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 computers and AI will be capable of in, in five years. What does artistry mean today? I'll, I'll go out on a limb and answer that question. I, I, sure. I, I stay up at night worrying about this. I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head about what I am most concerned about in, in terms of what it means to be human. And, and I don't think it's accidental that Bennett and I are on the cutting edge of this field, and yet we both essentially have humanities and philosophy backgrounds. I, I mean, yeah. we, we, we studied history and, and, and art and philosophy and, and moral reasoning. And, you know, AI gets to the heart of what it means to be human. We are, with, with some amount of exaggeration and hyperbole, stumbling towards creating life or at least creating something that looks a lot like what we are proud of in ourselves as a species. And yeah. that's scary. That, that's very unsettling. You know, I think about art a lot, and, and, and I, I love young emerging artists, painters, and, and I think, okay, you find this thing that an individual made, and right now, a 3D printer and scanner can scan it, 
it, uh, you know, it can mechanically reproduce it a thousand times. And the human eye will not be able to tell the difference between the original one and the copies. And, and so that gets you into NFTs and all the stuff people like to debate about. But, but there is still something special in our minds about that first one. It's not the same as having the copy. I don't know why. It, maybe it's romanticism. We like to say that, that, that law is an art and a science. We like to say that medicine is an art and a science. I think there are a lot of people out there today that would say that art is just a more complicated science problem. We, we need to get a little bit better compute and a little bit better at math, and we'll see that art is the same kind of thing. I don't believe that, and that's where I'm going to go out on a limb. Wow. The future may prove me wrong. I think whether we're delusional or not, as human beings, we assign meaning to human judgment and humanity. And I am an optimist in that I think that AI will help us articulate what is so uniquely interesting about being human. And, and I am hopeful in that respect. So I do believe that there will continue to be an art and a science. I will also go out on a limb and say, I think our relationship with machines is going to move towards one of collegiality and mutuality and respect. I think it has to. I think there are a lot of scary things in the future that we need to avoid and think about. But I am ultimately an optimist and I ultimately believe that art is distinct from science and that we will have more art by virtue of the tools we're creating. Yes. It, it, and even even like if I may soften the word, because I know art, art's kind of loaded, but like even like kind of the craft of of being a lawyer right now on an individual basis. And, and I'll, I'll open this up to, to Bennett as well. Like, I, I guess, you know, whether or not, you know, we can get a, a computer to paint like Salvador Dali what in any category, even even automated tasks, do you see the role of of lawyers going forward, even outside of the ones that use AI will survive? Let's even put the wolves out in the in the wild. You know, they're not they're not going to get domesticated. We're anticipating they're going to die off. What do the I guess folks that are committing themselves to AI? What are those roles going to look like? Yeah, I do think one of the greatest skills of the next 50 years is going to be how to interact with these systems and get what you need out of them, right? And the human element that will always be, I think, a part of this craft is knowing when to push the boundaries. Because algorithms and AI systems are built upon a, a view of the path, right? It is they're all their models, all everything is based on here's what's happened up to now. And it's going to give you an answer based on that perspective. There are many times, kind of like when Morpheus described the matrix, right? He says <laughs> it is built on a system of rules. Some can be bent, some can be broken. That is also what it means to be a lawyer. We are absolutely saying, here's what the law currently is. But one of our main jobs is to understand when the law needs to change, when it needs to grow into a new area. And that is a really important piece of what it means to be a lawyer. I also think there's going to be an, a democratization of the law on some site, right? So we, we lawyers, we are basically the high priest of Babylon, right? We have a secret of knowledge and mystical words that we use and we couch it in Latin and we make it really hard and expensive to become a lawyer. We do that on purpose, right? We want to keep the sacred knowledge of Gnosticism to ourselves. But this kind of technology is inevitably going to open up those gates because 
knowing all the cases and knowing all the law and all the opinions on it, that's going to be at the push of a button. Well, then what does it mean to be a lawyer? And so it's going to be an opening and a democratization of the law, but it's still going to be lawyers knowing what is fair and right and just in that situation. Indeed. And I think we'll have to leave it there for the sake of time. But Bennett, Danny, thank you so much for being with us on the past two programs talking about these use cases. It's been very enlightening. Thanks so much for having us. Anytime. It's great. Wrapping up today's episode, we usually don't tie two back-to-back appearances from guests so much together vis-a-vis the content per episode. But I did want to save many questions I had, both about document management and large language models and how they will impact the legal profession from the standpoint of our very distinguished guests from DLA Piper into this second episode. I think it was well worth the wait. If you want to check out the first episode for full context, if you haven't yet, it's called The Future of Legal Document Management with Danny Toby and Bennett Borden of DLA Piper. You can find it at podcast.emerge.com. That's podcast, singular, no S, dot emerge.com. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.